Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord our Savior Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Well, I uh, haven't talked about uh, football too much lately, at least uh, not here in the sanctuary. Uh, But since this is the week between the playoffs and the Super Bowl, I know that many of us cannot help but think this year of all of the retirement of the greatest quarterback in the NFL. Yes, I'm talking about Ben Roethlisberger, the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> and I know some of you may not agree with that exactly. In fact, this uh, last week, Ben Roethlisberger said that he thought the greatest quarterback in the NFL was Tom Brady, uh, who also announced his uh, retirement. And uh, Big Ben, as we called him, said that it was in his opinion, an honor for him to compete against Tom Brady, which showed a lot of class and uh, also some humility on his part. But the reason I shared that with you is that in his press conference following the uh, Steeler postseason loss to Kansas City, uh, Ben Roethlisberger was asked, uh, what's next for him? Uh, What happens after his retirement? What changes does he foresee in his life. And his answer really came, uh, I think, as a a surprise. It caught a lot of people by surprise, given the fact that in the face of, you know, all the options, all the opportunities in front of him that you could possibly imagine, what he said was, I want to be the best husband and the best father that I can be. And I want to try to expand the kingdom of God. Now, the last part of that answer was not widely reported in the sports media. It got cut off. But you can go online. You can hear it and see it uh, for yourself. And if you know anything about uh, uh, Ben Roethlisberger's off-the-field behavior during some years past, then you also know what a dramatic statement that was. Not only in the context of his retirement, but in the context of his life. I want to try to expand the kingdom of God And because we here at St. Andrew also want to expand the kingdom of God, and because Ben Roethlisberger is worth about $110 million, I think we should invite him to our church. (laughs) Who cares if we got the Ravens on one side of us and the Commanders on the other side? Anyway, that brings me uh, to today's passage, to today's story about one of the greatest leaders we've ever known in the history of our faith. The fisherman, known as Simon Peter, who got caught up in the surprising grace of Jesus, who calls him to retire from his fishing business, which included at least two boats and and two other fishermen by the names of James and John, in order to follow him to expand the kingdom of God by catching people. It all happens one morning on the shores of Lake Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, to which Peter, James, and John have returned after a long night of fishing out on the lake on the deep water because nighttime is basically the optimal time to fish on Galilee when the sun is down and the fish move much closer to the surface of the water. And yet that night, for some reason, the fishing was absolutely lousy. They didn't catch a thing in spite of their best efforts. Maybe they were in the wrong place. And so now it's morning. Now they're back at the shore and they're cleaning their nets, which were very large and they were very heavy. These guys are obviously frustrated because they didn't catch any fish. They're obviously exhausted because they've been out there 
they're working all night cleaning their nets through uh, the course of the morning. They just want to get this done, go home, go to bed, and then get ready for the daily grind to repeat itself once again. But at the shore is none other than Jesus, the rabbi, who Peter has met before. So this is not his very first encounter with Jesus. But Jesus is there and he's getting ready to preach, uh, to teach a, a crowd of people who had gathered at the shoreline when he hops into one of Peter's fishing boats and tells him to put out a little bit into the water so that he can use that boat as kind of a floating pulpit. Because what he would do, what other rabbis would do, is go out into the water a little way so that their voice could carry across the water to the shore, which was a little bit elevated where the people were, and behind which were the hills of Galilee, to create sort of an amphitheater effect so that they could be heard by larger groups of people without the sound systems that we enjoy uh, today. And so, uh, even though this happens as a, as a, you know, kind of an unwelcome intrusion at, a, at an inconvenient time that probably didn't make Peter very happy, I mean, he gets this, he understands it, he's maybe seen it before, and so he does what Jesus tells him to do. And Jesus sits down, as the rabbis would do, and he teaches this crowd from the boat. After he's finished, that's when this whole thing gets very interesting. As Jesus looks at Peter and tells him, to launch the boat once again out onto the deep water, miles from the shore in the middle of the lake, and to let down his nets for a catch. This, after these guys had already been out there all night working, they caught no fish, They've sailed all the way back to the shore. They've already done the hard work of cleaning their nets. The sun is now up once again. The fish are no longer close to the surface of the water. They're frustrated at their night. They're exhausted. They want to go home. They go to, want to go to bed. And in the meantime, here is this rabbi who didn't even grow up at the lake, who came from the village of Nazareth further inland, who worked for his father as a carpenter, and now he's trying to tell professional fishermen how to fish and run his business. And so you can imagine at least that maybe Peter was thinking to himself, you want to do what? And so even though we don't know exactly what his attitude was, we don't know what the music was behind the words, you do get a glimpse at his hesitancy, his resistance, his frustration when he says to Jesus, hey, master, we've been out there working all night. and We've caught nothing. And you want to go fishing now? And even though we don't know exactly what his attitude, what his spirit or his feelings happen to be, what we do know is, is what he said. What we do know is what he did. When he looks at the rabbi and he says to him, nevertheless, because you say so, not because of how I feel, but I will go out, I'll push the boat, We'll launch it back out. We'll go to the deep water and I'll let down the nets for a catch. In other words, I will do what you say do, not because I feel like it, but because you are who you are. And off they go. And as a result, Simon Peter, the fisherman, was caught by the surprise of his life. When Jesus gave those guys the greatest fishing trip, they ever had at a most unlikely time in a most 
unseeming way. So great that they had to call up an extra boat to load up the extra fish and both of the boats just about uh, began to sink. So overwhelming that Peter, you know, he drops to his knees in front of Jesus. And he says, you know, you got to depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of you. And then comes that moment where Jesus catches Peter by an even bigger surprise when he says to him, don't be afraid. Your fishing career is over. And thanks to me, you're going out on a high note. From now on, you follow me and we're going to go fishing for people. There was the surprise of his life that this rabbi, this Jesus, would actually call him an ordinary, you know, young businessman, foul-mouthed fisherman, a person who was often impulsive, unpredictable, who didn't often get it right to become the leader of a ministry team that would go out and then turn the whole world upside down with the good news of Jesus. And with that, Luke closes down the passage uh, with a verse that just says it all. And they brought their boats back to the shore and they left everything in order to follow him because Jesus Christ caught them by the surprising, overwhelming gift of his provision and his grace. So I don't know about you, but uh, for me, I mean, there are just blessings and lessons all over this one. For openers, there's the reminder that you and I have a God who is willing to call, who is willing to use ordinary people of imperfect faith to do extraordinary things. He did it then. He did it through the scriptures. He's still doing it among us to this very day. How do I know that? Well, you go and you talk to the members of the staff here at the Lutheran Church of St. Andrew and just ask them, what were you doing? What were you up to when you joined this ministry team? And what you hear, what you will hear, are things like, uh, well, I was a principal. Uh, I was in sales. I was in marketing. I was in the army. I was a nurse. Uh, I was a CPA. I was a librarian. I taught social studies. And all those gifts are being used to expand the kingdom of God. Others of you, you know, who are not being called to change your vocation are being called because in our baptism, all of us are being called to reorient uh, our purpose in life, our priorities in life after him. And I can tell you that when you do that, even then, your life will dramatically change. It will be different forever. I still think of a guy in uh, the congregation I formerly served uh, before coming to St. Andrew. He was the treasurer of the church and sat in my office one day and he said, you know, I still think about all those years I didn't even go to church. I mean, I wasn't in the faith. And now I'm a leader here. I just can't believe it. I think of a guy uh, who was not in the faith. Uh, he was not a Christian. He was actually a cellist uh, for the National Symphony Orchestra. And on the day I baptized him, we arranged it so that uh, he literally walked from the baptismal font over to his cello and he sat down 
And for the first time in his life as a Christian, he played the cello in the church, not a dry eye in the church house. I think of a man as we come to the beginning of Black History Month across our nation, whose name was Lemuel Haynes, and he fought in the Revolutionary War. And then afterwards, he became the very first African-American to be ordained as a clergy person in this newborn country. And he became an anti-slavery activist, and he became the beloved pastor of an actually integrated but predominantly white congregation. And if that isn't heading out onto the deep water, I don't know what is in 1785 serving faithfully, being their leader until he died at the age of 80. Also notice in the passage that Jesus is not put off even at the slightest by Peter's reluctance, by his sense of unworthiness, uh, by the, the apparent weakness or the reluctance of his faith. When he gets caught up in this overwhelming catch of fish and he humbles himself before Jesus and he says, you know, depart from me, Lord. You've got to go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of you. You know what Jesus does? Nothing. He does not leave him. And he's not going to leave you either. Even when you feel like the fish aren't biting, even when your attitude may not be great, even when you feel like your faith you know, isn't as strong or vibrant as it ought to be, he's not going anywhere. Jesus did not look at Simon the fisherman and, and say to him, you know what, Simon? You're right. You are a sinful man. Your faith isn't very strong. So why don't you spend your time getting your act together? And then I'll come back and then we'll have a conversation about whether you or not you're going to follow me. It's not what he said. What he said was, don't be afraid. Your fishing career is over. It's time for you to retire, to follow me. And I'm going to make you fish for people. And we're going to go out onto that ocean where people are dying for their fear and their shame and their guilt. We're going to go out onto that sea of political tension and racial tension and social tension and, and relationship issues. And you're going to catch those people who are dying. And you're going to do it with a net called the gospel. Because here's the thing. There's one very major difference between fishing for fish and fishing for people. And this is what it is. When you fish for fish, when you catch them, they're alive. And then after you catch them, they die. But when you fish for people, they're dying for lack of God's grace in their life. But when by that grace you catch them, they live. They live a whole new wonderful life, just like he caught you and me in the waters of our baptism in Christ Jesus. In the vocabulary of the church, uh, the name for the seating area in the sanctuary is the nave, which comes from the Latin word novice, which actually means boat or ship. You are now seated in the nave 
at this moment. And that name pays tribute to those fishermen who God called, who got caught up in the overwhelming grace of God, who in Christ changed their lives so that they could go and leave everything else behind, leave behind their guilt, their shame, their reluctance, their unworthiness, the inadequacy of their faith, just as he calls you and me to do that as well and to be part of this boat known as the church and to take it out into the world where people are, are dying in the ocean of shame and guilt, to use our callings, our vocations, our gifts, our skills, our actions, and our words to turn this whole world upside down so that those who are drowning in the ocean might get caught up in the amazing, overwhelming, transforming grace of God. And so, you know, whether you're thinking about retiring or you're already retired or you still have your whole life ahead of you, never ever forget that God's grace changes everything. And it gives you and me what we need to do, what he calls us to do, not because we always feel like it or we have the right attitude, but because he is who he says he is. And by his grace, we get to watch what happens as we participate in the greatest cause this world will ever know. And so I pray that, that you get to hear God's voice in your life through his word through a thousand different circumstances and through the voices of, of people in your life who, who follow Jesus and who bear his name, through whom he may call you to do something extraordinary, whether or not you change your vocation. And with you, I pray that God will use every single one of us, including number seven, to follow him, to leave the past behind, to live the new life that Christ gives to us so that more and more people who live in and around the nation's capital might get caught up in this with you and me through the overwhelming, overflowing, life-changing grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.